Louis is going to be talking to us about, it's, it's got a very provocative uh, theme or topic, the bots are here, the bots are coming, so um, I think he's going to have to do it justice, so without further ado, I introduce Louis, if we can give him a round of applause. Thanks. Um, I've spoken to you guys a couple of times before about things like blockchain and big data and the bots are coming, so I thought I'd bring it home. I think the bots are arriving, they are here, and I want to talk about just as a more hands-on practical example, things around you know, analytics and automation and pricing, and specifically experience analysis pricing in terms of how do we do experience analysis and possibly with concept for, for further pricing work as well. Um, I'm joined by Siri. Siri will help us a bit later because I have a confession to make. Um, I forgot to do all my slides. So, um, Siri, I need your help. Can you please finish my slides for me? Hi, Louis. I will run the pricing code and finish your slides. Siri, to the rescue. <laughs> so, Siri is just pressing my buttons for me there. There you go. It seems to be running. So, hopefully, by, by the time I need my slides, they'll be done. Just a little bit of an example of automation, right? So when we talk about automation, we often, we often think and we visualize the graph at the top. We're going to do a bit of extra effort now, but it's going to save us loads of time later. But in reality, in the past, it's been often been like, yeah, I'm going to write some code to do it. I'm going to debug my code. I'm going to do some ongoing development. So much so that at the end of the day, you don't actually have time for the original task anymore, right? So that's often how we think about it. But I'd like to, to, to say that I think Things are changing. There's so many exponential trends that are out there that we are seeing in various fields that, that really means that we can actually get more closer to the top, top version of automation than the bottom automation. And I think it's really opening things up, especially in things like experience analysis, data analytics in general, and pricing. So what are these exponential trends? Well, the, the one that I can't get away from, and I'll have to say the B word again, the big data word, um, is the four Vs of data. All of these things are going exponential. The volume of data we are seeing is growing exponentially. If you, sp if you saw the previous presentation, you'd know, you know China, that, that level of volume of data uh, is tremendous to deal with. The variety of the information is also changing. You heard the previous presenter talk about various sources of data, the WeChat, the, the, the social media context, all that very variety in data means we actually have to automate the processes that deal with that. The speed at which data is hitting is increasing exponentially. We're seeing much more data coming in quicker, more high frequency, and also the, the, the variety at speed is also what's hitting us. Um, if you're living in a different world, you might be getting uh, 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 health tracking information, which is uh, you know, high velocity data. And combined with all of this, the accuracy of the data surely has to drop. The more and more data we get, we're not going to get pure, good, clean data. We often have to clean this data up, and there's a lot of work with cleaning that up, and that needs to be automated, otherwise we can't do our jobs effectively. Not only is the data exponential, the computing power is exponentially. Luckily for us, otherwise we couldn't deal with the data. And, and I could have had anything on the vertical axis here, computing power, computing cost, memory, transistors, bit chip, all that sort of stuff is going up exponentially. I don't really have to spend uh, much time on this, um, just that this is also enabling lots of new techno technologies to be used in analytics and, 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 and modeling. And even if your, your laptop on your, on, your, on your desk can't deal with it, uh, you know, it's already growing exponentially, even if your laptop can't deal with it, you can actually farm all your work out to the cloud. This is an example of R being used with H2O, which allows you to send work from your laptop out to cloud computers or other computers in your office and really 
send out the work, get the work done, and collate that, uh, the results of that work as well. So that's, that trend is also exponential. So you can really go and you know, easily scale uh, uh, your, your analytics capabilities quickly um, in a, in a non, uh, uh, if, even if you don't have the right computing power. Another trend that's really interesting is the trend towards APIs and um, talking, allowing machines to talk to each other or processes to talk to each other. And APIs are a defined method for different systems, processes, or software com components to share information. So it's a way for one computer to talk to another computer efficiently. So what this means in a day-to-day -day world is that you don't have to um, send an email to your IT department or phone them and ask them to pull the data for you for your for your analysis and your analysis or your experience analysis, your analysis program can directly fetch the data from your data warehouse or from your admin system if you're lucky enough, and pull that data in automatically and run that process automatically. This is what APIs are all about. It's also about um, external data. A lot of external data is becoming available um, via APIs. This is just an ex oops, sorry. This is just an example of Twitter. Um, this is the one of the founders of Twitter's. Twitter data presented as, a, as an API, machine-readable format. There's very, very many services that provide data like this. You can get the weather, you can get, um, uh, in South Africa, you can get live or deceased status, lots of things like that that you can actually have access to. So you can automate a lot of those processes. And then there's massive advances in statistical and machine learning. Um, there's massive advances in the traditional models, the statistical models that are out there. Um, and there's also advances, the new kids on the block is the machine learning, decision trees, um, all these new technologies that are being developed and, and developed continuously are, is really going fast. Um, uh, deep neural networks is, of course, the, the most interesting recent sort of arrival that people are, like, are talking about. It's, this is what we're talking about when we're talking about uh, uh, AlphaGo and those kind of things. And, and those things are all being continuously developed and, and growing at an exponential pace. If you're wondering what the difference is between statistical models and machine learning, I'm just going to sort of step aside and explain that quickly. Statistical, uh, statistical models are, have statistical or mathematical origins. They um, they take account of uncertainty directly. So you assume a normal distribution or you assume a Poisson distribution. You really figure out what your error terms are look, looking like. Generally, statistical models are structured in an additive manner the full, and they're structured explicitly. So you build a structure for your model in advance and you say these things add up to, to get to my results. Um, statistical models can allow for complexity, but it's a lot more difficult than, than machine learning models. On the other side, you have machine learning uh, models that, are, that have programmatic or computer science origins. It's not really based on statistics or mathematics purely. Um, they, they tend to be algorithmic and don't necessarily impose a structure on your model beforehand. So it depends on the exact algorithm, but generally they're algorithmic and there's no inherent structure in those models generally. Usually it's very difficult to isolate the effect of individual variables um, independently in, in, in a machine learning model. With a statistical model, you can say this, this input has this impact on the output. With machine learning models, you can't. Um, and then machine learning models can easily deal with, with complexity, which is, which is the advantage um, that, that, that statistical models are, are, are a bit more difficult with. Both of these, these fields are really progressing rapidly, and the computing power expanding is pro especially is progressing the statistical models, and then the new algorithms and the new, new ideas in machine learning, as well as the computing power is progressing machine learning as well. 
And then this is, this is this I find very interesting, is another trend is that everything is being open sourced. In fact, um, if you want some access to the latest machine learning techniques, you'll find it difficult to pay for it. It's much easier to get it for free. <laughs> and that, that, I still find that quite amazing. There's a couple of examples here. R is perhaps the, the most well-known. R is an open source platform for, for statistical modeling and machine learning modeling. Um, there's many packages on R. XGBoost is perhaps one of them, which is a gradient boost to trees. Um, and then you have TensorFlow is another example. I've spoken about H2O already. TensorFlow is, is, is actually the technology behind AlphaGo. AlphaGo is the Go program that beat all the Go masters in the world that was used by Google, that was developed by Google. The techno technology behind that is open sourced in, in, in TensorFlow. And you can go download TensorFlow and you can work with it on your laptop today if you wanted to. And that's quite amazing, right? The, the, the speed at which that innovation is hitting us is quite, is, is quite amazing. It does mean you have to sort out your own problems to some degree, but that's what Stack Overflow is for, right? Um, um, so, so that's something I want to talk about. So I've highlighted a few, a few exponential trends out there that is really affecting the, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the, this area of pricing experience analysis and data. And, and I want to introduce you to, on the next slide, there's a video from Kurt Carlson, which really, which talks about what happens when a lot of exponential trends come together. And I think it's quite relevant to, to fill this talk. You know, when we did Siri, um, they ended up on the iPhone. That was about 10 technologies that came together. It was machine learning, it was big data, it was search, it was natural language. We had to put together a family of technologies. So it's not, it's not just Moore's Law. You just can't look at one of these and say, oh, I'm keeping up with this trend. That's not true. You have to keep up with all of these trends. There's Moore's Law, but there's an artificial intelligence Moore's Law. There's a machine learning Moore's Law. There's a big data Moore's Law. And when, when they all change enough, and, it, and you know over a five-year period, you might get a 10 times change. When you put three or four of these together, all of a sudden you've got the chance to work in a white space to disrupt an industry. So it's that ability to look for those big opportunities and look for these, we call them colliding exponentials. Um, that's where we focused our effort. And we were able to find one big opportunity after another. My question always is, do you have a company that has a process to identify and take advantage of those white spaces? So the white spaces, the, the new opportunities that opened up. Perhaps um, pricing and experience analysis is not the area that's going to completely change your whole organization, but I think in terms of what we do as actuaries, I think it's quite relevant to really look at what's changing our, 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 the way we work in that area. And uh, what we've done now is we've run an example in the back which uses the computing power and the storage in my laptop that's sitting out there. Um, it uses statistical models from R and open source things that I haven't needed to pay for. It pulls in data from various sources, it cleans up that data, it, it runs through that data, and we've automated it all. So literally, as we were talking, this process has been running, and, and we'll ask Sri now to just show us what she's done. I have, I have just one point to make, is that um, the numbers that you see, the numbers that you see are not, have been heavily distorted. They're based on real examples, but you can't really read anything to them because I mashed them up quite significantly. So Sri's opening up the results, and there you go. Here are the slides which were just completed. The code ran two pricing exercises. The first was a mortality rate exercise and the second was disability termination rates. 
Let's look at the mortality pricing exercise. We had lots of data here. The next five steps were followed. Number one, read in and clean the data using predefined procedures. Then calculate exposures, add the expected rates, then fit a generalized linear model to the exposures and produce the rates, then run reasonability checks on the rates. Please note the results of some of these steps was used out of history to save time. As shown, the steps are easy to follow, documented, and can quickly be rerun to reproduce or tweak the results. This graph shows the goodness of fit, comparing the actual to the predicted events. On the vertical axis is the number of deaths, and the horizontal axis is the age. The red graph shows the actual death events, and the blue, the predicted. And the model, well, it fits like a fiddle. A few more tests have been done, and that can be easily pulled up on request. This slide shows the new rates, the blue line, compared to the old rates, the red line. The vertical axis has the rate, and the horizontal axis, the age. The shape of the new rate curve is adjusted with the accident hump being smaller and the curve being steeper. This is a quick, clean, and simple pricing exercise. However, the product is simple, and there was sufficient data. But we do know that this is not always the case. Beep, beep. Code interrupted. Launching updates. Please do not turn off your computer, because this will take an estimated two hours. Only kidding, Louis. We know that now is definitely not the time for updates. Now that we're listening a little more closely, let's look at disability terminations. All right. We know this is a whole different kettle of fish. The data is limited, and the product has flexible features. Termination rates refer to the chance that claims in payment will cease because the life has either returned to work or died. The following steps were followed to price these rates. Number one, read in and clean the data using predefined cleaning procedures. Calculate exposures, add expected rates, and then do the termination modeling. Here we used penalized regression theory to add weights where the data was credible. The graph shows the actual prior and proposed number of terminations at each duration. The vertical axis shows the number of terminations, while the horizontal axis shows the duration in weeks. The blue number is the number of expected terminations for the prior rates. The actual terminations is plotted in red, and the proposed rates are in green. The model derives the proposed numbers by blending the actual numbers with the expected prior based on data credibility. At early durations where there's more data, it follows the data more closely. At later durations where there's less data, the proposed follows the prior more closely. This type of modeling is like a hot knife through butter when it gets to producing accurate results in a complicated space. Not only have we modeled experience, we've also generated rates. Here are the current and newly produced termination rates for a 50-year-old man. The vertical axis shows rates, and the horizontal axis duration in months. 
the blue line is the new rates. It shows determinations are higher at early durations and follows the current at later durations. We now have an objective, blended, database set of rates with no human intervention. The actuaries can now spend their time tweaking results and understanding the drivers of results. Louis, that's all you've coded me to say today. So, back to you. Thank you, Sri. Well done. So that was Sri. So I hope I've given you an example of how automation is actually potentially hitting the actuarial profession and the way we work and the way we do things. Um, I've, I've show, we've shown you how to automatically pull in data using direct calls to the data sources. We've automated some steps of the data, or all the steps of the data preparation. We've employed advanced modeling methods. We've automatically checked for goodness of fit, quality of the rates produced. Um, we've effectively automatically documented and reported these results because we generated that slideshow as we spoke. Um, the, 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 the documentation is very easy because you've, you've literally programmed every step of your, your process, which means um, to, to generate documentation or to repeat that process, you have the code already, you just need to read the code to generate the documentation. Everything is there. Um, you can also track changes to this code base to say, you know, what have I changed from last year? What am I going to change by fixing things? And I can you know, consistently document uh, uh, what I'm working on and, and, and look at that. And then it becomes very easy to rinse and repeat. Now, a lot of people think, you know, experience analysis, you know, that's pricing, repricing, those kind of things I only do once a, you know, once a, a, a year or if, if, if so frequent. Um, um, but actually, when you do it, you actually do it many, many times because invariably you walk, work through this pricing or experience analysis process. You come to the end and you realize you missed something at the start, and then you restart that process. And you probably restart it tens, multiple tens of times while doing your, before getting to your final results. So having that process automated will save you a lot of time, as well as save you in terms of making different mistakes each time you repeat it, as well as providing that documentation and, and, and repeatability. Um, I think I think you can continue this process further down the track. I think I'm not an expert in developing the pricing models that go out to, to develop the, the office premiums, but that makes sense to then just make it flow further, um, and, and we can continue improving this process. I think what we need to think about is how will actuaries respond to this process? Um, how do we need to change the way we think about data, the think about the way we work going forward? And I think there's a lot of things that actuaries need to think about in terms of skilling themselves up, in terms of data, in terms of analytics, in terms of programming, to really understand you know, this future world where a lot of their work is potentially being automated. Um, and hopefully I can address some of that in my workshop that I'm offering tomorrow. That's it from me, thank you. So I want to thank John. I just looked at the activity stream for uh, you know reminding everyone it fits like a fiddle by Siri. So uh, before I started, uh, Louis just asked me to to come clean for those of you that still think it was Siri. It was actually a wonderful lady by the name of Lauren. So I think we want to give a shout out to Lauren as well um, around around that. So I think that's a prerogative. Thank you, Lauren. Uh, you know, I, I think as management, we sometimes get used to it. You know, we have many series working for us in the office, often in the back room, you know, un, unacknowledged. So I want to open uh, to the floor for any questions. Um, so Louis covered a lot of ground. I think in the meantime, if I can ask just Adrian 
and Alex to come down so long. I think they were still putting some last-minute uh, spin on their on their uh, presentation. So I, I open to the floor. Any any questions? Thank you. We've got one in front here. Hi, Louis. John here. Yeah. Hi, John. Um, what I find interesting is, like you said, you can't almost buy a, a, a software package that, that does all these things and a lot of it's done in open source. Um, why not? And, and, it's, and it's really the, the reality is if you try and automate all the systems but you still have to code through a, a various packages of open source systems that don't work together that well, um, then you still need the actuary, which is ultimately the point of doing all this. Okay. You don't need the actuary anymore. Well, the point of my talk is not to say that we won't have actuaries. The point of my talk is to say that you can do work way more effectively in terms of the way you work. In terms of the open source situation, I think a um, lot of these, a lot of the advanced research is coming out as papers, and most of the statistical and, and, and machine learning papers come out with an R package attached to it. So the newest research is already available as an R package, which you can load straight into R and, and run with it. That's often the case. In terms of um, yeah, uh, automating, you can actually buy support for some aspects of it. People are selling, there are companies that are selling support for open source packages out there. So there might be, uh, I can't think of a uh, statistical example now, but for Ubuntu you can go to Canonical and they can support the whole operating system for you and you pay them if you want as an organization. Um, what you can do in terms of making sure that everything is interoperable is that you make sure that you reproduce your environment exactly um, the way you worked in it so that others can follow your steps exactly, use exactly the same version of the application that you used, follow exactly the same steps. And that's another reason why you actually want to automate it so that you can reproduce those results exactly. I think I covered more or less your comments. Thanks. Hi, Louis. Hi. Um, Joe here from UCT. Um, just uh, what you said about building the program to automate a task because the task, while it gets done once a year, actually gets done a hundred times because you're doing it over and over because you're yeah. noticing you made a mistake and you go back and fix it or you notice something and you're going back and you fix it. So the, the danger there, and I wanted to know how you deal with that, is the, the reason why you'd run it a hundred times is because you notice something unusual during the process because you el elbow deep in the process yeah. and therefore you'll notice that there's something wrong. Yeah. Um, whereas this beautiful presentation that appears at the end might not show you that there was that problem. Um, of course. So what you need to do is you need to make sure you build in all the checks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's not a bots are coming, that's, a, that's the actuarial students are coming kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, I think but that, that is what we've done. We've pulled in checks to say, does my rates go up with age? Does, does, do I have any poorly, poorly, uh, poor good, uh, goodness of fit uh, statistical test for, uh, for, the, for the graduation? All the standard checks, you can actually build in and, and, and automate them. You still need to interrogate, of course, and think through the, th through the data. But at the moment, actuaries are moving around columns on spreadsheets mm. trying to pull data and prepare data or in access or in all weird sorts of situations. They do prepare the data for the final report. They run the report. They then notice an issue. They go back and they can't actually reproduce the, that error that they had, or they pr produce a new error, which, 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 yeah, yeah. And, and you, we're wasting our time moving around columns instead of asking the questions that you that you that you want to ask. Yeah, I, th I think I think that that there are almost sort of three stages. The one is doing it very painfully manually, yeah. and and struggling through all this stuff. The one is where there's a basic automation where, but, but you still need to be able to dig in there because one of the problems Definitely. might be a new one that you never thought about, you don't have mm. checks for. 
Um, but the machine learning kind of element where the smart program notices that there's a new trend and tells you mm. about it, we're not there yet. Yeah. So what we also produce, uh, the kind of thing we also produce here is to say we produce a, a, a visualization output which basically contains all the work. So you can actually go and kind of like pivot tables, but basically in a, in, a, in a visual fashion, you can go click through and see what did the males do, what did the males do in this age band, how does it look by genders, by smoker status, by you know, rating class, all those kind of things, and you can go dig into the details. And then you, you need to spend time with that and, and find, oh, but this looks really odd, I need to go investigate the data and probably fix the data issue somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, very good points. Cool, thanks for that. Um, anyone else, please raise your hand. Um, just while we're waiting, I think uh, for those of you that are thinking about how to get started, um, I think Louis has got some, some advice for you. Um, and just in terms of the previous questions as well, I would encourage you to look at um, Notebook. I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with like a Python Notebook and you get that for R as well. And it really encaptures that uh, intermittent phase, you know, prior to you being able to automate. Uh, these kind of things, but just to have your your research or your methodology to uh, to be reproducible, to be self-documenting, and then also to be collaborative. You know, so a notebook like a Python notebook, it stores every single version um, that you have of it. Who made the changes? You can work on it together. So it's a wonderful way, I think, to get started. Yeah. Um, and then ultimately, that notebook can be automated, and it serves as its own documentation. Anyone else with uh, comments or questions? Yeah, there's one more. Thank you, sir. Hi, uh, my name's Elaine. Sorry to build on, I guess, Jean's point earlier. Should we, as a community, w what you're proposing is uh, sort of democratizing making it more easy and accessible and uh, reusing these processes. Should we not go one step further? Should we not, I guess, open source these processes and as an actuarial community have these things available for everyone to share and use? So move away from each company having spreadsheets and, and all the rest and moving to a more value add yeah. uh, idea. Uh, uh, it's an interesting comment. I th I'd say that most of the work is already open source, so the, the, the core stuff is generalized linear models or various forms of, of model fitting techniques. And there are um, professions that are far better at, at developing those algorithms and, and doing that sort of stuff. Um, so that the core stuff is already available. The stuff that's difficult to share is the stuff dealing with connecting to your own data systems. So you, you are at a big insurer, you want to connect to your data warehouse here, and you want to pull in the spreadsheet that, you, that, that contains some other information here. And, and to pull that in, that's not something you can share with anybody else, because nobody else will find it useful. So, they, 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 and, and, and I have to say that 80% of the work is always in the data probe, right? And, and the data, data is, is a little bit unique to each company. Having said that, there are t techniques and tools out there that, that can aid some of that, some of the generic aspects of that. Um, as a profession, I don't think we're ready to develop an open source actual sort of approach. I think there are some available. There's IBNR runoff triangles, for example, for example, available as R packages. Um, uh, there are some things out there already. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know whether the profession can really develop a standard tool set, but um, maybe that's something for an academic. I don't know. Um, thanks for that. 
Uh, this side. I wanted to ask uh, a question around. Uh, okay. Um, particularly saying with machine learning offering like uh, superior alternatives compared to like existing statistical methods. So I could imagine that uh, the current methods obviously they allow for uh, exposure. Now with these machine learning techniques, they're a way of allowing for exposure when you're extracting, for example, like your mortality rates when you are fitting these models. Okay, uh, good question. I think firstly I want to say that I don't say that machine learning techniques are superior. Um, they are superior for particular use cases and they are inferior for particular use cases. Um, for where you are developing new mortality curve, um, it's rare that you're going to get a statutory actuary that's going to accept a machine learning model that you can't explain to him, that you can't tell him exactly how each variable is operating in there. So I think at the, I mean, we'd, we'd like to try that. We'd like to see how that would would work. But at the at the at the moment, you really need a model that you really truly understand when you're wanting to develop pricing or experience setting or a base when you're setting a mortality basis um, or a, a disability basis for that for that example. So l less likely to be machine learning uh, techniques there. Although so you could use machine learning techniques initially to explore that space. In terms of allowing for exposure, there are ways to do that. It is quite complex. The machine learning techniques are especially geared towards where you have a yes-no type of situation, a categorical outcome, and that's generally, generally where they work best. But there are ways to look at exposure and, uh, and to play with that. Um, I generally focus on, on statistical models, especially when I'm pricing, but for other problems you could focus on, on, on machine learning techniques. Good. Thank you very much. I think I'm going to stop it here to give uh, enough time for the other, other talk. So, but if there's any other questions to Louis, I believe you will be here all week. So, <laughs> once again, let's give him a round of applause, guys. Thanks.